In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I welcome you to the First Baptist Church of Oregon City Worship Podcast. We are glad to be here this morning or evening or whenever you are worshiping with us. Because whenever you worship with us through this podcast, we are worshiping together in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is within our time, but the Holy Spirit is outside of our time as well and unites us all in mysterious ways that we don't fully understand. Because of this awful virus that is ravaging our nation, our state, and our city, uh, we have suspended in-person worship for now, knowing that when the circumstances are right for us to meet together again, uh, we will be ready to do so and eager to do so But for the time being, we are grateful for the opportunity to worship in any way that we can and to realize that worship is something that we do every day, something that we do any time we offer our work or our rest or our lives up to Jesus. Um, And that should be in everything that we do. And so as we go to worship this morning, Uh, via podcast. I pray that you are healthy and well. I pray that you are filled with the encouragement and strength that comes from knowing you are part of a body of believers that is lifting you up in prayer, that is ready to encourage you in any way we can, and is proclaiming God's word to you in song, in prayer, in scripture, and in proclamation this morning. Take me past the outer courts And through the holy place Past the brazen altar Lord, I want to see your face Pass me by the crowds of people The priests who sing their praise I hunger and thirst for your righteousness But it's only found one place Take me in to the holy of holies take me in by the blood of the Take me in to the holy, holy. 
past the outer courts and through the holy place past the brazen altar Lord I want to see your face let's bow our heads in prayer Dear Father, we come to worship you. We're still not meeting in the church building, so we're worshiping you in our homes via podcast. And I hope this is a time of worship that you can bring praise and glory to your name. And you who are hearing the podcast, Maybe you're singing along with the songs. And that's a good thing because even if you can't carry a tune, the only ones that can hear are yourself and the Lord. Maybe you're following along with the prayer. Whatever it is, you're giving praise and glory to Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray for those in our congregation who are not well, and I ask that you be with them. We think of Willie Coons, John Millicent, Melissa, and others. And I ask that they keep their faith strong as they put their trust in you. And you are with them, and you will heal them. And I ask for you to be with those who are having relationship difficulties. Maybe this is a time when they can reach out and try to repair some of that damage that's been done. Be with those who have possibly lost their job and are trying to figure out how they can make ends meet. Lord, help them to put their trust and their faith into you. You already have a plan in place for them. Help them to rely upon the Holy Spirit to show them what that plan is. And Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for what it can mean to this community. Lord, there are many needs in this community. And as people reach out to us, hopefully we can meet those needs. You have a plan in place for us, Lord. And I ask that we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit as you make that known to us. Lord, I thank you for each member of this congregation. I ask that their families be blessed during this time. I also pray for the COVID uh, response team as we're keeping an eye on the statistics and, and how the virus is progressing. And when the time is right, the decisions that we make we're making in the best needs of our congregation. And Lord, I pray for our leaders. I ask that you be with them as they also make these difficult decisions. And I hope, Lord, that they do turn their hearts back to you and they do put you first in their lives. And I'm hoping that the decisions they make are for the best of the people that they were elected to serve. 
And Lord, I thank you for all that you've done for us. Times are tough, but yet you've been with us throughout it all. Help us to stay connected with you through prayer and Bible reading. And as we record this podcast, I ask that this podcast be a blessing to those who are listening to it. I ask that you give Melissa the words that we need to hear. Open our hearts and open our ears. And with that, Lord, I lift up all the uh, the prayer requests and petitions to you. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord from Genesis 22, 1-14. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Yahweh called out to Abraham. Abraham. Abraham replied. Yes, Lord, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son, Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Abraham spoke to his servants. Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders, while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and spoke. Where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. The two walked along together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son, Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven. Abraham, Abraham. Yes, I am here. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yirah, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Today we're going to talk about God's call to us. Are you ready to say, let's go? Or are you too busy saying, now's not a convenient time, God, maybe tomorrow? God asked Abraham to take his son Isaac up to a mountain and sacrifice him. 
God said, go to the region of Moriah. So Abraham got up early the next morning, packed up his things, and went. Period. God told him to go, so he went. No hesitation. How many times has God called you to do something, but you've hesitated? We all do it. We seek confirmation, we ask friends for advice, and we wait. I would bet that there are some of you out there that God is currently, right now, asking you to go do something. Talk to a friend about Jesus, serve someone, take a risk in your faith. But for some reason, you're hesitating. This is the time to take that step forward towards what God is calling you to do. This is the time to declare that your life is not your own, that you will follow God wherever he has called you, that you will go beyond yourself and find joy in giving your life away for the sake of others. Today we're going to talk about three people from the Old Testament and their response when God called them to go. They all had big missions and they all had different answers to God's call. The first up is Jonah. Jonah had a big call from God. God said, get up and go to Nineveh. Preach to them. They're in a bad way and I can't ignore it any longer. So Jonah got up to go. But instead of going to Nineveh, he got on a ship to Tarshish, which was as far as he could go in the wrong direction. Well, you all know what happened next. A big storm blew in, threatening to sink the ship, And Jonah was thrown overboard and swallowed by a large fish. He was spit up three days later, right where he began. And God once again called to him, saying, Get up and go to Nineveh. Preach to them. They're in a bad way, and I can't ignore it any longer. This time, probably because he didn't want to be swallowed by whatever God would send if he disobeyed again, Jonah got up and went to Nineveh. There are several reasons why God may have asked Jonah to go a second time. Maybe he wanted to offer Jonah a second chance. Maybe he wasn't done teaching Jonah. Perhaps Jonah still had a lesson to learn. Maybe God wasn't done with the people of Nineveh. Yes, they were horrible and wicked, but the God of grace was still extending an invitation to them for repentance and mercy. When Jonah got there, He started preaching about their coming destruction, and the Ninevites, from the king down to the very last animal, repented of their sins, and God forgave them. In fact, the Bible says God saw what they had done, that they had turned away from their evil lives, and he changed his mind about them. What he said he would do to them, he didn't do. God acts when people repent. Repentance was at the heart of everything Jesus did. Everywhere he went, he preached, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In Matthew 12, Jesus references Jonah when talking about repentance. In that passage, some Pharisees and teachers of the law had been questioning Jesus all day. And finally, they asked Jesus to give them a sign. Jesus responded by saying, You're looking for proof but you're looking for the wrong kind. The only proof you're going to get is what looks like the absence of proof, Jonah evidence. 
Like Jonah, three days and nights in the whale's belly, the Son of Man will be gone three days and nights in a deep grave. On Judgment Day, the Ninevites will stand up and give evidence that will condemn this generation. Because when Jonah preached to them, they changed their lives. And now, a far greater preacher than Jonah is here, and you squabble about proof. Both the story of Jonah and the life and ministry of Jesus are centered on the powerful act of repentance. They're an invitation to turn from sin and return to the life that God created us for. Has God ever called you to do something that you didn't want to do? What was your answer? Did you do it anyway? Let's continue Jonah's story. When God decided to forgive the Ninevites, Jonah was furious. He yelled at God. He said, God, I knew it. When I was back home, I knew this was going to happen. That's why I ran off to Tarshish. I knew you were sheer grace and mercy, not easily angered, rich in love, and ready at the drop of a hat to turn your plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. So God, if you won't kill them, kill me. I'm better off dead. God said, what do you have to be angry about? But Jonah just left, going out of the city to sit down on a hill and sulk. He put together a makeshift shelter out of leafy branches and sat there in the shade to see what would happen to the city. Jonah always makes me laugh. When he doesn't get his way, he throws a tantrum worthy of the biggest drama queen teenagers I have ever met. If you won't kill 120,000 people, then kill me because I'm better off dead. Come on, he's a touch ridiculous, isn't he? He didn't even want to go in the first place because he suspected that God would forgive the Ninevites and he didn't want that to happen because they were the enemy of Jonah's people and he lacked compassion for them. Jonah missed out on one of the key qualities of God, one that is essential to our mission to go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus didn't say, go and make disciples of the nations you like. If you think they're unworthy of salvation, that's okay. We'll just skip them. Jonah lacked compassion for people. Sometimes we lack compassion too. Sometimes we just say, I don't hate people. But indifference is the same as hate, according to the Bible. We are called to actively love. Who does your world revolve around? Yourself or others? Do you show compassion toward others? Do you love everyone, including your enemies? So we left Jonah on that hill, sulking in the heat. God arranged for a tree to grow, shading Jonah and cooling him down. And Jonah was very pleased to have the tree. And then overnight, God sent a worm to bore into the roots and by morning the tree had withered away. God then sent a hot blistering wind from the east. The sun beat down on Jonah's head and he started to faint. He prayed to die, saying that he was better off dead. God said to Jonah, what right do you have to get angry about this shade tree? 
Jonah said plenty of right. It made me angry enough to die. God said to him, why? How is it that you can change your feelings from pleasure to anger overnight about a simple tree that you did nothing to get? You neither planted it nor watered it. It grew up one night and it died the next. So why can't I likewise change what I feel about the about Nineveh from anger to pleasure? This big city of over 120,000 childlike people who don't yet know right from wrong. God hoped that Jonah would catch on to the grace and compassion he was showing Nineveh. But Jonah was stubborn and dramatic and more concerned with his own comfort than with the salvation of the Ninevites. God, however, was more concerned with the salvation of 120,000 people than with Jonah's comfort. Jesus told us to go and make disciples. How often do we choose our own comfort over his call? How often do we say, no, I don't think so. I'm not going. Sometimes there are tasks that God has given to us that seem impossible to enthusiastically say, let's go. When Jesus says, when Jesus says take up your cross and follow me, that's not something I always get excited about. Or when he tells us to serve others and not ourselves. Or when he says we will suffer for his name. But some of the most difficult times in my life are the times that have been the most meaningful. Those are the times when I stop leaning on what I think I can do and rely on God. When my faith and my trust in him grows. I forget that though, just like everyone else. Sometimes when God calls me to do something, I just say no because of my fear or my doubt or uneasiness about his plan. It makes me wonder what blessings I've missed out on in those moments. Moses said no too. Exodus chapters three and four tell us the story of Moses and the burning bush. Moses was shepherding the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. While he was tending the sheep, the angel of God appeared to him in flames of fire, blazing out of the middle of a bush. He looked, the bush was blazing away, but it didn't burn up. Moses said, what is going on here? I can't believe this. It's amazing. Why doesn't the bush burn up? God saw that he had stopped to look. God called to him from out of the bush, Moses, Moses. He said, yes, I'm right here. God said, don't come any closer. Remove your sandals from your feet. You're standing on holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, afraid to look at God. God said, I've taken a good long look at the affliction of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries for deliverance from their slave masters. I know all about their pain. And now I have come down to help them, to pry them loose from the grip of Egypt, to get them out of that country and bring them to a good land with wide open spaces, a land lush with milk and honey. The Israelites cry for help has come to me 
and I've seen for myself how cruelly they're being treated by the Egyptians. It's time for you to go back. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the people of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses answered God, but why me? What makes you think that I could ever go to Pharaoh and lead the children of Israel out of Egypt? I'll be with you, God said, and this will be the proof that I am the one who sent you. When you have brought my people out of Egypt, you will worship God right here at this very mountain. Then Moses said to God, suppose I go to the people of Israel and I tell them, the God of your fathers sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What do I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Tell the people of Israel, I am sent me to you. In Exodus, we see God moving into action to rescue his people. God calls to Moses while he's herding sheep in the middle of nowhere. He comes to Moses and he says, hey, I have a plan. I'm gonna rescue my people. I see them, I hear their cries, I know their pain. God is ready to get his people out of Egypt, to bring them to a better place. He says to Moses, and you know what? I want to use you. Let's ride to Egypt. Let's change the world. Moses' response should have been, let's go. However, Moses is keenly aware of his limitations. He was raised in Pharaoh's household, so while Moses was an Israelite, most of the people would not have seen him as one of their own. The task must have seemed impossible to him. So he started making excuses. What if they don't believe me? Who shall I say sent me? Moses was focused on his power, his resources, and his plan. He knew that the need existed, but he just couldn't see himself being used by God to meet that need. Moses had an absolutely massive task and limited resources, and he knew that that equaled impossible. And this is the point where I'm supposed to tell you that Moses was wrong, that you can do anything. But here is the reality. Moses was right. The plan was impossible for him if he relied on his own strength. But Moses forgot that he was talking to God. So he made excuses. He made so many excuses. He started with, who shall I tell them sent me? And moved on to, they're not going to trust me. They won't listen to me. So God told Moses to throw his staff on the ground, where it promptly turned into a snake. And then to pick it back up, turning it back into a staff. Then, in case that wasn't enough, God had Moses put his hand inside his shirt. When he pulled it out, it was leprous white as snow. After putting it back inside his shirt, he pulled it out to find it as healthy as before. God told Moses, so if they don't trust you and they aren't convinced by the first sign, then the second sign should do it. But if it doesn't, if even after these two signs, they don't trust you and listen to your message, then take some water out of the Nile and pour it out onto the dry land. The Nile water that you pour out will turn to blood when it hits the ground. 
God is telling Moses that the Israelites will believe him because of the miraculous signs that God will grant him. Moses doesn't have to try and convince them on his own. God will do that for him. So Moses comes up with another excuse. He says, Master, please, I don't talk well. I've never been good with words. I stutter and I stammer. I kind of imagine God rolling his eyes at that one. He tells Moses, and who do you think made the human mouth? Who makes some people mute, some deaf, some sighted, and some blind? Isn't it I, God? So get going. I'll be right there with you, with your mouth. I'll be right there to teach you what to say. And God obliterates another excuse. Don't worry about what exact words to use. Don't worry if you aren't a great public speaker because I've got this. I will put the right words in your mouth. How many of us worry that when the right time comes, we won't know what to say? Finally, Moses comes to the crux of it. He just doesn't want to go. He says, oh, master, please send somebody else. That excuse is where I relate some days. I sometimes ask God, why does it have to be me today? I am so tired. Can't someone else do it this time? So God told told Moses, and he sometimes tells me, I'll send a helper for you. He sent Aaron, Moses' brother, who was a good public speaker, to speak to the people. But Moses still had to decide what Aaron was going to say, and God would be with both of them the entire time. And then he said, now get your staff and let's go. I love how God wasn't like, Moses, look at you. He didn't say, Moses, here is a mirror. Look into it and repeat after me. You are special. He didn't say, Moses, close your eyes and visualize Pharaoh's palace and visualize taking him down. Now, how does that make you feel? No, God just said, I will be with you. God knew that Moses was limited, but he was also basically saying, I never expected you to do this on your own. The only thing necessary to do what God has called us to do is to trust him. God has an answer for every excuse. We aren't going to stump him. If we tell him, God, I'd like to do it, but I just can't afford it. He's not going to say, oh, I had no idea. Well, never mind. We'll never figure that one out. So stop preaching your shortcomings to God and start preaching God to your shortcomings. Stop making excuses. Stop letting insecurity or fear rob you of your faith and take that first step into whatever God is calling you to do. Moses didn't have to have all the answers. He simply had to say, let's go, to take that first step toward Egypt and God's plan. What has God God called us to do? Go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded of you. 
That passage concludes with a promise from Jesus. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Doesn't that give you courage, knowing that as you go, Jesus goes with you? Is there something difficult that you know God is currently calling you to do? Why aren't you doing it? Our last story today is about Isaiah. Isaiah was so overwhelmed by love and devotion to God that when he was asked to go, his immediate response was, Here I am. Send me. It's my hope that as we read through Isaiah 6 today, you would see the same majesty, holiness, and grace of God that Isaiah saw. That you would be so enamored and in awe of God, so blown away by him that you would be willing to do anything. That you would say, let's go to wherever or whoever or whatever he has called you to do. Isaiah 6 says this, I saw the master sitting on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robes filled the temple. Angels hovered above him, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two their feet, and with two they flew. And they called back and forth to one to the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of the angel armies. His bright glory fills the whole earth. The foundations trembled at the sound of angel voices, and then the whole house filled with smoke. I said, doom, it's doomsday. I am as good as dead. Every word that I've ever spoken is tainted, blasphemous even. And the people I live with talk the same way, using words that corrupt and desecrate. And here I've looked God in the face, the king, God of the angel armies. Then one of the angels flew to me. He held a live coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth with the coal and said, Look, this coal has touched your lips. Gone is your guilt. Your sins are wiped out. And then I heard the voice of the master. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? I spoke up. I'll go. Send me. Isaiah made a point of mentioning God's lofty throne and flowing robes to try and give us a glimpse of God's majesty. He recounts how the foundations were shaken and the temples filled with smoke as the Lord spoke, so we might begin to understand the magnitude of God's power. He tells us of the angels crying, holy, 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 to remind us of how completely set apart God is from anything we've ever experienced. The holiness of God is who he is. And when he moves out into the earth, when he goes public, when he displays himself for the world to see, the Bible calls that radiance glory. Isaiah saw the glory of God and was humbled and terrified. His first response upon seeing the majesty of God was to proclaim how guilty he was. It wasn't a grand gesture or an exaggeration. He was guilty. It was simply the truth of a sinful human being who has seen the most holy God. Isaiah was broken over his sinfulness 
and the sinfulness of his people. God responded to Isaiah's guilt with grace. He drew Isaiah near and forgave him through the sacrifice of the burning coal to his lips. God similarly draws us near through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And once God had drawn Isaiah near, he called for someone to go, to go out and do something. And without hesitation, without knowing the nature of the mission, the length of the responsibility, the location of the ministry, the content of the message, or the degree of difficulty in the task, Isaiah volunteered to go. He was so overwhelmed by God's majesty and grace that he simply wanted to submit and serve. Is your view of God so great, so awe-inspiring, that you don't wonder what he asks of you? That you simply want to serve him without question? Or has your view of God shrunk? Have you lost sight of him? When that happens, when our view of God shrinks, when we lose sight of him, our lives follow. We shrink back from living in obedience. We shrink back from being obedient to what he commands us to do. We shrink back from suffering for his name. But when our view of God is big, like Isaiah's view in his vision, when we're seeing him right up close, because we're up close and personal with him, then we'll want to live in radical submission to him. We won't be fearful of any man or what people think about us. We would just know that our gracious king asked us to be obedient and that we want to follow what he's commanded of us. We don't need a vision like Isaiah's to live this way. We see the radiance of God's glory and grace in full in Jesus. So what are you waiting for? What is still keeping you from answering God's call? Who are you as you listen to church this morning? Are you Jonah, unwilling to go? Are you Moses, full of excuses? Or are you Isaiah, ready and eager to fulfill God's plan, ready to say, let's go? Gracious Lord, I pray for all of us as we listen to this podcast, as we hear your word, to be filled with awe for you. You are awesome and amazing, and we want to go where you lead us. Fill our hearts with your spirit and help each one of us to feel your power and heed your call. Amen.
together. Almighty God, in giving us dominion over all things on earth, you made us fellow workers in your creation. Give us wisdom and reverence so to use the resources of nature that no one may suffer from our abuse of them and that generations yet to come may continue to praise you for your bounty. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, forever and ever. Amen. We are grateful that we could worship this morning. We are grateful for a God who loves us and cares about us. And if there is any way that we can encourage you, that we can lift you up, that we can pray for you, uh, or that we can attend to your needs, please get in touch with the church. Our church website is onebaptistchurch.org, and on the website you'll find our email address. Just send us a line or or give us a phone call, and we will be more than happy to talk with you and pray with you uh, and do what we can um, to serve you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We'd like to thank Melissa Mellinger, our Director of Worship and Youth, for proclaiming God's Word this morning. We'd like to thank Jim Leatherman, our church moderator, for praying and reading scripture this morning. We'd like to thank Gary Hunley, uh, our audio director slash uh, voice of Abraham this morning. Uh, We'd like to thank Katie Witham for reading scripture this morning. And we'd like to thank Doreen Hunley for helping Gary manage the soundboards. And remember, love God, love your neighbor, Wear your mask and wash your hands.